0: Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit Sozospokane.com. Sozo, how's everybody doing this morning? I pray you are doing well. It is a good day to be in the house, amen? Merry Christmas. You can say that in church. Uh, Merry Christmas, we're we're, we're glad y'all are here. We're glad you're with us. We're glad that you uh, decided to take some time out of your week and be here, uh, gather together. I think it's good to be together. We welcome those who are tuning in online as well. Can you say hi, everybody? Everybody here, say hi to everybody online. There you go um, real fast, I know it was mentioned um, before, but I want to just bring it up again for our our awareness for our for our understanding. I want to get you excited about it. Uh, we love Christmas around here amen Christmas come on is 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 the moment where God come on broke into our story in such a tangible way that we could not help but recognize him amen and so we we like to celebrate Christmas around here we like to to remember it so uh, we've been preparing, your kids have been preparing for our Christmas Eve service, uh, where we're going to tell the story of Christmas, amen? Tell the story of Christmas, amen? Uh, we're, we're, we're excited. Uh, your kids are going uh, to be singing. Our, our worship team will be here singing. Uh, I, I think everyone should come to our Christmas Eve service, because every year you get to see a Christmas miracle. We do a one-hour service. We're charismatic. That's a miracle. Come on, somebody. Uh, <clears throat> the gospel's gonna be preached, amen? amen? And we're gonna see people repent and believe. We're gonna see people born again. We're excited about it. We are anticipating it, and we look forward to all that the Lord is gonna do. Uh, so, so please make plans to be with us. Invite your friends, your neighbors. Uh, invite strangers and enemies, too. That's fine, just come and be together. We're just doing one service this year. I know last year we did two. Uh, we, this year we're just, gonna, we're just gonna all be together, so so kind of come and plan on coming and being here with us. Let's sing some Christmas carols. Let's worship Jesus, and let's remember why we do this whole thing that we do. Amen? Awesome. Well, uh, we're in the midst of a series through the Gospel of John. We're going to continue through that, um, continue kind of just making our way through, and uh, I'm excited about all that the Lord is showing us, all that he's doing in our hearts and in our lives. We're excited about the testimonies that we're hearing uh, about uh, uh, about just what's being shaped in our hearts and in our lives through this, uh, uh, this, this journey, through the book of John, through this, this account from the closest earthly friend that Jesus had. I, I love it. I know we've talked about this a lot. I know I've mentioned it before, but I just want to mention it again. I love, I love, I love the way that in the gospel of John, John, the author of the gospel, never names himself by name. He simply refers to himself, help me with this, as the one whom Jesus loved. And there's just something about saturating ourselves. Come on in the perspective of beloved identity, of knowing that we are loved by God, and and understanding all that Jesus said and all that he did, seeing it from the vantage point of the one who at the Last Supper, come on, leaned his head onto the chest of Jesus, the disciple who knows what Jesus' heartbeat sounds like. From that perspective, let's turn our attention to John chapter 14. We're gonna start in verse 25. Our goal is to try to finish up chapter 14 in, uh, in, in, in 2021. It's a Monumental task, but we think we're up for it. So John chapter 14, verse 25. Let's go ahead and stand for our, to our feet for the reading of God's word. How many people love your Bibles this morning? We love the word. Because in the word, we hear the voice. Amen? So, Let's read the word together this morning. This is John chapter 14, verse 25 from the ESV. It says this. but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Church, let's pray together this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. God, we we declare with all faith and assurance that this is the word of the Lord and we praise you for your word. We thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for your living, active, breathing word. God, I thank you that you did not give us uh, just just some sort of uh, you know monument of stone for us to go walk up to and read stone words, read dead words, read passive words, but you gave us a living, active breathing word. a word that cuts between our thoughts and your thoughts, a word that can 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 differentiate between the the leading of our own lives and the leading of you, Holy Spirit, a word that can teach us to hear your voice. So we come this morning, God as a hungry people, as a desperate people, to feed on and hear your word. God, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, feet to walk out what it is that you would say to us, that you might be glorified in our lives and good might come to the world through your presence with us. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Come on, everybody said. Greet somebody real fast around you and then grab a seat. Amen, amen. Good to be in the house, good to be together. Uh, This morning, if you're taking notes, I hope you are. Uh, We're gonna continue to just kind of make our way through this this portion of the text. We're gonna take a few passes at it. Um, And this week, if you're taking notes, I wanna talk to you under the title, it's it's appropriate for Christmas, Love and Joy. By the way, I just have to go here because I just have to go here. The song. Love and joy come to you, and to you come, and see, nobody knows the rest of the words. A wassail, do you know what wassail is? A drunk party. God bless you, and Merry, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year. I just love that. You know, we sing it all the time. Christians are like, just, here we go wasling. Literally means uh, to, to drink a lot and to go party. I just love that. It's like, it's what, it's what, we, it's what we do, it's what we make every holiday into. Um. Uh, but I wanna to talk to you about this morning about love and joy. Last week, we, we we sort of ended, we landed on the reality that peace, or what we called soul tranquility, amen, a tranquility of the soul is the birthright of the newborn. If you've been born again, your birthright is to live continually in a state of soul tranquility. No, nobody's excited about that, apparently. Nobody's happy that, that you don't have to let the external troubles of the world become an internal turmoil in your soul. Come on, we, we're, 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 we are set free, come on, from trouble. We are given the gift of peace in our new birth. That's the promise, that's the birthright of the born again. And what I, what I love about Jesus, what I, I just am obsessed with Jesus, because right after promising, come on, right after promising us that there will be an impartation of, 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 of the soul tranquility through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right after that, because he knows us, come on somebody, because he knows us, he, he follows it up with, by the way, don't be troubled or afraid. He, he just promised you peace, and then he commands you not to be troubled or afraid. Because he knows that from our past conditioning, Come on, even though we've been promised this, this sur- supernatural surpassing uh, joy and peace, he knows even though we've been promised this peace, our conditioning is, to gonna, is, gonna, is gonna lead us to run right back to anxiety and fear and worry and stress. And so he, he, he warns us, hey, don't go back to that. I'm giving you something better. And I think he goes on in this text, if we look at this, and I hope to show you this this morning, he goes on to show us three things, I think, that rob us of our joy and kill the love that he desires for us. So this morning, I want to talk to you up front about some some joy robbers and some love killers, some joy robbers and some love killers. Here we go. Here's the three that I, I see in the text, a troubled mind, a fearful soul, and a wandering heart. Troubled mind, a fearful soul, and a wandering heart. A troubled mind. Now when Jesus says, do not be troubled, he's, he's not telling you, hear me please, he's not telling you to avoid any uh, difficult or trying or pressure sort of situations. How many of y'all know if you're breathing, if you're here, if you're living, Jesus made a prophetic promise that nobody puts on a bumper sticker And that is in the world you will have trouble, tribulation, difficulty, trials, hard times. So Jesus isn't saying don't have troubles. He's saying don't be, come on, troubled. The way we like to say it around here is don't let external turbulence become internal trouble. Don't let the turbulence, the chaos, the the absolute insanity, come on somebody, of the exterior world infect your interior world. Because come on, the birthright of the born again is soul tranquility. When you find yourself obsessed with external circumstances, they will bleed into your interior world and begin to bring turmoil. Come on, you know you, you know the scenario where you start playing in your head all of the horrible things that might happen. Where you where you were you obsess about every negative outcome that might be. I remember, I remember the third time I went skiing. The third time, the first time I went skiing, I just fell down a lot. Can I get an amen from anybody who's gone skiing before for the first time? Come on. I just fell down, I was in junior high, and, and we moved from Houston, Texas, where I saw snow once. It fell from the sky and died on the ground. And they wrote about it for six years after that, about the, the magic snow that fell from the ground. And then we moved, up to, we moved up to the Selkirk area, up to Medellin. Anybody know where Medellin is? Yeah, yeah. Literally, I, literally, this, I just love this. My parents moved me from a place, we, we lived in an apartment complex in Houston, Texas, before we moved up to Medellin, in that apartment complex, there was like 800 units. I moved to Medellin, there was 160 people in the whole town. And my parents decided it was a good idea to take this little southern boy, this little island boy, this little southern boy, and ship him up to Canada to try to go skiing. Just fell down a lot. Second time I went, I kinda of figured some stuff out, so I was, I was kinda of skiing, I kinda of figured it out. Third time I decided that I would go I would go with all my friends who'd been skiing their whole lives. And they're like, how confident are you? I was like, I'm good, let's go, because I'm 13 and stupid. And or just 13, that's pretty much the same thing. And uh, I, I get on the chairlift and they go, so we're gonna go around this little back area and we're gonna go, and I get to this place and I look up and I see a symbol on describing the run that we're about to go on that I've never seen before. I said, hey, I, I've been going on things with like green circles on them and blue squares on them and there's like four black diamonds up there, what does that mean? And the guy just pointed, I looked down and I saw these giant mounds of snow, and I saw people flying down and zipping around. And here's what obsessed my mind. I'm gonna fall, it's gonna hurt, and I'm gonna die. <laughs> and like any 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 13-year-old boy, I said, Oh well. <laughs> pointed my skis straight down, straight down the hill. And you know what happened? I fell down, it hurt, and might as well have died. We get obsessed with these things. We we, we allow fear, come on, to just infect our whole mind. We allow fear to sneak in and and to corrupt everything, and we just get obsessed with these things. Jesus is saying, for his followers, for his people, for you, for me, this ought not to be so for us. This type of trouble, though, is addicting. Amen? We get obsessed with it. We get addicted to it. And I touched on this a little bit last week, where where especially in the world we're in right now, it's really, really, really easy to let external turbulence become internal trouble. And it doesn't really matter which side of the of the of the of the political or or, or sort of worldview perspective you fall in. Right? If, if you fall into a more progressive mindset right now, typically the way that that fear manifests itself in you is, is, you know, there's a new variant, and you're freaking out because nobody's doing what you think they should be doing, and so we're all gonna get it, and we're all gonna die, and everything's gonna go just horrible. And if you come from a conservative perspective, a more a more a more you know conservative perspective, you you're, you're thinking there's a new variant, and they're gonna like hold me down and force me to get vaccinated, and I'm gonna grow a third arm. And you're you're all wrong. <laughs> None of those things, none of this is a reason, beloved, for us to be troubled. None of this is a good reason for you to let go of your birthright. Your father in heaven acquired that for you. What are you doing selling it just so you can be addicted to some sort of propaganda or some sort of conspiracy theory in your own head? Those of you who like conspiracy theories need to read Isaiah 8.12. It says, don't call conspiracy what they call conspiracy. Stop being obsessed with all that stuff. You're like the Bible talks about conspiracy theories? Yes, the Internet didn't invent them. It just multiplied them. We ought not to be troubled, beloved. This kind of thinking is like a snake eating its tail. Doesn't do you any good. Troubled mind. Robs us of joy and kills our affections. Can, can, I, can, I just, can, I just, can I just pastor you for just like one second in that? Here, here's pa- free pastoral advice. If you're here, you wanna be honest with yourself, with others, with the Lord, you'd say, yep, that's me. I get obsessed with these things. I get, I get fearful. I get, all, all it says, here, here, here you go, free pastoral counseling meeting. Just pretend like we're hanging out. Put your phone down, turn the TV off, love your spouse, talk to a friend, Read a book. Pastored. <laughs> I promise you, when you're done doing all that stuff, you'll feel better. We gotta we got, we got get out of this cycle, beloved, amen? Troubled mind, fearful soul. Fearful soul, a fearful soul. To be afraid is to make fear your soulmate. To be afraid is to make fear your soulmate. You see, I think if troubled, when Jesus says don't be troubled, if troubled has to do with, please follow me, if trouble has to do with how we perceive and process, how we relate to exterior problems and interior realities, how how that happens, if trouble has to do with Jesus calling us away from those sorts of things, I think when he calls us not to be afraid, I think he's specifically speaking to us about how we relate to him. I think that that fear, that, that that being afraid has to do with our, our our relationship, our perspective, our understanding of how he sees us and how we see him. I think this because when you drill down to the root of this word afraid in Greek, it literally means to be without faith. See, we get afraid. We get fearful. If being troubled has to do with our thinking and our perspectives, fear has to do with our divine relationship. And here's what you need to understand about fear, beloved. Fear is toxic to intimacy. You you will not be intimate with a God that you fear. If you're constantly wondering, if if you're still buying into the... the good cop, bad cop view of God as it relates to God the Father and Jesus. Come on, somebody. Nobody wants to admit that that's what religion taught you? Like Jesus, he's great, he's got feathered hair, he pets sheep, he plays with little kids, but the Father is mean. He's angry, he's like a junior high boy with his chest puffed out looking to throw down. We, we get, and we hope that today we get, we get happy God, we get Jesus God. But maybe because of something we did or something we said or God somehow remembered a thing we did a long time ago, he's gonna get mad again and I'm gonna get rejected this time. And so we're like, a, we're like an abused dog that doesn't know what to do when its master comes home. It's like it's excited to see him but it's afraid it's gonna get smacked. See, that's fear that creeps in and it, it robs us of our affection and it robs us, it's toxic to our intimacy. You are not going to be intimate with somebody that you're afraid of, because intimacy requires a horrific amount of vulnerability. You, can't be, you cannot have intimacy with somebody that you can't be vulnerable with. And so, so what we do is we, we build up walls, we put up shelters, we, we build barricades in our lives. We try to keep God at a distance. We try to be close enough that we we, we're kind of we're kind of there like that, like that, come on, like that abused dog, kind of in the room with the master, but not close enough to get yelled at, smacked, or, or kicked out of the room. The problem is you were designed for intimacy. You were designed for intimacy, which means that you have an insatiable desire for it. That desire is, is, the, is the fingerprints of God's design for you. You're not, you're, you are not going to be satisfied without a divine intimacy, you're just not. Everything you try to fill your life with is not going to fill it. You're designed for it, therefore you desire it. But as long as we're, as long as we're gripped with fear, come on, we, we can't know that intimacy. We shrink, we draw back, we withhold. It robs us of our joy, it kills our love. Lastly, wandering heart. What I mean by wandering heart is, is dual allegiance. Come on, somebody. Dual allegiance. Hey, 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 I, 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 I love Jesus, I love the gospel, I love church, I love the Bible, I love this whole Christian life thing, but you know, I still think there's some good over here. I still think there's something of value in, in, this, in this realm that's outside of that. Now, you might, you might not be willing to be that honest with yourself, you might not be willing to be that blunt in your dialogue, but your actions portray that is what you really think. Well, I, I, know, I, know, I, know, that, I know that money won't really satisfy me, but if I go make a bunch of it, I can maybe see if it does. I know, that, I, know that, I know that more stuff won't make me more secure, but yet I spend all of my life trying to, trying to amass more stuff. See, this dual allegiance robs us of the joy that we're promised in him. It kills the love that we desire from him. Let me just put this very bluntly. There are no dual citizens in the kingdom of heaven. I love you. There there are no dual citizens in the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's the awesome tension, right? Here's the awesome tension. There are no dual citizens in heaven, and yet every nation, every tribe, every race, every creed, every sect is is equally invited to repent and believe and become a citizen of the kingdom. So, so, so I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't give a rip what your background is. You are called to repent and believe the gospel and be welcomed into the family of God. No one in the room seems to agree with me, but I believe that. But see, we 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 can't we we try to live this dual life. I've talked about this before. We we try to live this, this amphibian life. Amazing picture. This I don't have time to go there. I don't have time to go there. I don't have time to go there. But but Second Samuel chapter five. If you want to read something about this, I think it's, I think it's a, a great picture. The 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 enemies of the people of God at that time were a nation called the Philistines. And they steal, they win, a, they win a battle against Israel and they steal the ark, which is the symbol of the presence of God. And they take the ark and they take it to the place where they worship their God, a God called Dagon. And Dagon is, is proof that the Bible is not boring because Dagon is described as a merman. <laughs> no joke, he has the bottom half of a fish Top half of a man, he's the little mermaid. And the enemies of God worship him. And the, and the Bible says what happens when the presence of God, come on, encounters the fish man, the merman, the little mermaid, it topples over and its head falls off. Because you see, you can't be a dual citizen. I love this picture because we have, we have a man, which, which is the picture, right, of humanity, and then we have we have a fish, which is which, which is if, if you've been around Christians very long, that's one of the symbols we use for who we are as Christians, right? A fish tries to be a half Christian and a half human, tries to be in here and in here, and kind of kind of bounce back and forth between both worlds. When I was a youth pastor and, and, and pastoring college students, and there were those of you who are too young don't don't know that 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 before the this whole chaos of the world, there used to be these things called nightclubs. People used to crowd into them and, and dance. Or if you're white, sway. <laughs> and I used, to call my, I used to call my college students and say, you like to dance in the clubs on Saturday night and dance with Jesus on Sunday morning. By the way, if you're white in the church and you dance, that just means you bounce up and down. That's <laughs> what we do. Um, this isn't possible, that's, that's the, the, the reality is this, you cannot have dual citizenship in the kingdom because it robs you of your joy and it kills your affection. It's not who you are, amen? It's impossible. Jesus says that, that joy robbers and love killers are a troubled mind, fearful soul, and a wandering heart. So if these three kill and rob, what, 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 what's, what's the answer? What's, what's, what's the answer? How do we deal with these things? Because, come on, this is, this is not, the, the, the good news of the gospel is not stop doing these things. The good news is there's something better for you to give yourself to. You, you don't have to give yourself to this anymore because there's a superior thing to give yourself to. And I think as we look in this text, specifically as we get to verse 28, I think we see something, and that is that love, come on, beloved, is the catalyst. Love is the catalyst. There's three sort of things that are spoken of, three elements that are spoken of. There's peace, there's love, and there's rejoicing, and I think love needs to be the catalyst for all of these things. So let's look at them again. Let's look at that's a troubled mind, a fearful soul, and a wandering heart. How does love Fix that. How do I how does fixating on divine affection, how does fixating on love fix these problems? Well, a troubled mind gets dealt with when you fall in love with Jesus. When you fall in love with Jesus, 2 Corinthians 10:5 says that he takes over every single thought in your head. The way Paul says it in 2 Corinthians is he, he takes every thought captive under the obedience, come on, of Jesus. Some of, y'all, some of y'all, some of y'all, some of y'all are married. Some of y'all are married. Some of y'all are happily married. Some of y'all remember what it was like when you were first dating. Come on. And you were obsessed with that person. And you tried to go to work and work and you couldn't work because you were just obsessed with that person. And some of y'all are young enough that you were obsessed with that person when text messaging happened and you sent stupid text messages to each other. Hi. What are you doing? You gonna have a lunch? I'm gonna have a lunch. Can I can I just tell you that that that's the kind of that, that times infinity. Come on, is what happens when we get obsessed with an affection for Jesus. He takes over every corner of our brain and everything calls us to and reminds us of Him. Jesus said, if you loved me, come on, love is the missing piece. Yes, he gives, he gives peace. Yes, he calls us to rejoicing. How do we get from peace to rejoicing? He says, the catalyst, the thing is love. It will purge your mind of trouble. And then I love this. Fear, come on, is cast out, John tells us, by perfect love. Fear gets cast out by perfect love. First John, this isn't in, in, in the Gospel of John, this is in his epistle. 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, or your translation might say judgment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because Come on, we love because he first loved us. So our love is merely a reverberation, a response, come on, a ricochet of his love. And so if perfect love casts out fear, and and it does, then fear in my life is evidence that I have not been willing to receive and respond with perfect love. I love that that John leaves room for this this process in this text. Perfect love casts out fear. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. If perfect love casts out fear, and it does, then our allegiance to and addiction to fear keeps us outside of his love. Now, 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 let me be really, 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 really clear here. Nothing, of nothing, ever nothing, can separate you from the love of God. Nothing, of ever nothing, can separate you from the love of God. That's, that's ridiculously good news. That's crazy, if, you if you're not excited by that news, you don't understand the magnitude of his love and the reality of your, of your utter disqualification in yourself of receiving that love. But the Bible says nothing can separate you from his love. His love is constantly in pursuit of you, and yet if, if the Bible says that love casts out fear and we align ourselves, bring allegiance to fear, if we hold on to fear, come on, like it's, like it's something precious to us, and his love steps in, what happens to us attached to that fear? We get repelled away, because I, because I feel, this is so ridiculous, beloved, but it's so true, I feel more safe being afraid than being loved. Oh, come on, somebody. I know, I know y'all are all way more spiritual than me and have so much more advanced than me. If I was half as spiritual as y'all say you are, we would have no problems in this church. But the reality is, I, 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 I've, got some, I've got some track record with fear. I know how to live afraid. It's, it's, sort of, it's sort of become like a comforting blanket of anxiety for me all the time. But to be loved by the reckless raging fury that we call the love of God, that scares me. So I'll, 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 stay, I'll stay in allegiance to my fear at the cost of receiving his love. And thus I'm stuck in this cycle, because the only thing that can free me from my fear is not an avoidance of trouble or problems, but an encounter with his love. And so I avoid it, and so I get pushed away from it, and so I get pushed away from it. And it becomes this sixth, this sixth cycle. See, fear will not be expelled when risk is avoided, but when love is embraced and fear is abandoned. I wanna say that again, fear will not be expelled when risk is averted, but when love is embraced and fear is abandoned. Just like the peace that he gives us surpasses our understanding, the freedom from fear that he desires for us is not just risk being averted, risk being done away with, and and now you're, you're safe. Safety doesn't produce a lack of fear because you have this beautiful thing between your ears called an imagination and you can dream up all kinds of stupid scenarios that will never happen that will keep you up all night so fear doesn't get doesn't get expelled when we when we when we when we find a safe place no fear gets expelled when we know that we are loved when we know we are loved see we must allow we must allow love to be perfected in us so that fear does not have a, 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 a polluting effect on our souls. See, I think, I think this fear, John points it out here. I think this where this fear, and this is why I say fear has to do with the way we relate to God. One, because the Greek word means to be faithless or to be without faith. But also because I think fear sneaks into our lives when we start real fear. I'm not talking about little petty little fears. I'm talking about real fear sneaks into our lives. Come on, beloved, when we start to doubt that He's good, or we start to doubt, or we start to think that we have to be good enough to be accepted by Him. Now, now let me let me just let me just pause because I, I can see some of y'all are the, the wheels are spinning, but I don't I think the hamster's in there. So. Um, See if I can help. Because some of y'all are saying, but pastor, the Bible says that we should fear God. Some of y'all are like, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And I'm, I'm not denying that some of y'all need wisdom. So um, let me help with this. The Bible calls us to the fear of the Lord, not to be afraid of the Lord. So let me try to define this a little bit for you, help you out here. When we say the fear of the Lord, what we mean is 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 a holy response to His holiness. And remember, we, we've learned this right. What does holy mean? Does it mean morally pure? No, it means otherly. See, God is not like anybody else. So, so, so we've we've been trained right <clears throat> how to approach, how to interact with the the people that we regularly interact with. You, you know how to you know how you you have different you have different interactions with different people amen right like you you relate to your boss one way to your kids another way to your spouse another way to a stranger you meet <clears throat> on the street another way you 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 react and you respond you interact with people differently and you've kind of learned how to do that but has anybody else ever been thrust into a situation where you meet somebody that you're not sure how you're supposed to interact with them I, I had a friend this this happened he, he was ministering on the continent of Africa, I don't remember which nation, but he's leading worship. He was called there to, to lead worship at this, at this uh, uh, gathering of Christians and, and pastors gathering in, in one of the nations in Africa. <clears throat> and as he was worshiping, He's leading worship, as he's worshiping, everyone's you know, there and they're erupting, they're, they're saying there's about a thousand people there and it's, it's this big party atmosphere and they're just loving Jesus, they're declaring his glory, they're declaring their love for him and all of a sudden he said, he sees the, the back door of the room open, light comes streaming in and everybody in the room goes dead quiet. And he's up on stage looking like you need to lead worship and he's like, what just happened? And the, the pastor walks up, takes the microphone and welcomes the king of that nation to walk onto stage. And my friend is leading worship, and he goes, never before in my life have I not known what to do so much. It's like, I'd never met a king before. And here he walks in, and he's got, these, he's got these guards around him with these rifles and these giant swords, and they're decked out, and they just come barging. They, they, they split the people, and he walks up on stage, and he stands there, and he, he actually welcomes the people. He welcomes my friend who's leading worship and, and blesses the whole event and, and thanks everybody for being there and says that the, the country, even though he's, he's not a Christian, he thinks that the the, their country needs more Christians because they do so much good, and they, they're, they're transforming the atmosphere of the nation, and, and my friends just stand up there the whole time, and I, I will never forget, he says this, the pastor then, Thanks the king and takes the mic back from him and he says, King, thank you for your, your blessing. Thank you for, for being here with you. We we honor you. But if you don't mind, we need you to leave the room because it's time we honor the King of Kings. <laughs> and the miracle of the story is nobody died. Right, that the people in that room and, and and the people erupted in cheering. He said, and the and the, the king kind of laughed and he got off stage and he walked out with his like you know gajillion bodyguards with swords and knives and spears and guns, and they left. See, here's what I'm trying to say. You, you might not you, you you when when we understand the fear of the Lord, what I'm saying is you know how to interact with certain people, but nothing will prepare you you don't know how to interact with somebody who's utterly other than everything you've ever encountered. He's not like anybody else. He's not restrained by anything that restrains anybody or anything you've ever encountered. This is why the Bible uses so many different metaphors and pictures to try to describe God. It's it's because there's nothing that really fits. Nothing can be all-encompassing. And so fear of the Lord is us saying, you know what? He's not like anybody else. And so I'm gonna have a holy response to his holiness. I'm gonna respond differently to him. Come on, I'm gonna respond in an otherly way to his otherliness. I'm not gonna treat him like I treat everybody else. I'm not gonna be flippant with it like I'm gonna be flippant with everybody else. It's a a right response. It's knowing, oh, come on, come on, let's go C.S. Lewis. It's knowing that he is not safe but he is good. And so fear then, being afraid of God, is to doubt the good part. Are you tracking with me? It's to doubt the good part. Maybe he's not really good. Maybe, Maybe like the serpent said, he hides good stuff in what he says is bad, which would essentially make him not good. Come on, this is is the argument, this is the the pathetic argument of every agnostic and atheist that ever tries to debate a Christian. Well, if God is good, then how come bad stuff happens in the world? The right question when you know who God is and you know who humanity is is why does anything good happen to anybody? My favorite response, my absolute favorite response when somebody was in a debate, somebody somebody came up and debated and said, Why do bad things happen to good people? This is the best response ever. You ready? Here's your response. That only ever happened once, and he volunteered. Because the only good person that's ever lived on this planet is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ himself, and he volunteered for the bad thing that happened to him. And he did it on your behalf. So fear sneaks in and says, God might not be good, or I might not be good enough. I haven't done it. Maybe he's going to remember something bad that I did, and he's going to punish me for it. Beloved, what John tells us here in 1 John is perfect love casts out fear because we know that God, in his love, gave his only begotten son, made a way for our redemption, and punishment and and judgment has been done away with. Are your sins judged by God? Yes, they were judged 2,000 years ago on a cross. There is no more judgment. There is no more punishment. It was done 2,000 years ago. I can prove it. Jesus said, "It is finished. Literally paid in full. There's no more payment to be made for your sin." Now, now, I, I'm a pastor, so I just have to make sure I communicate this. Play stupid games, you'll win stupid prizes. <laughs> God doesn't judge me. Yeah, but if you're an idiot, your life's going to suck. That's really deep theology. It's why people come here. The deep, deep, deep theology of Sozo. Don't be an idiot. Okay, right, so, but, but here, here's the problem in our, in our, in our twisted little brains. Any, anybody have kids like mine that wanted to touch the burner? Come on, it's okay. They're just, you know, genetically you, so it's all right. When your child touches the burner, is the burn on their hand your judgment against them? No. They played a stupid game. They won a stupid prize. You you wanna live your life. Look, this this book is full of, of, of principles and leading and guiding that our loving Heavenly Father gives to us so that we stop touching the burner. Let's bring this to our life if If you go out tonight and 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 lick a flagpole, you'll be there in the morning. That's not God's judgment against you. you're just dumb. No. right like. Like, but, but we get it in our heads that that's somehow God judging us. I'm not saying if you do stupid things with your life, there will not be consequences for those stupid things. Can I get an, an amen from anybody else who's done dumb stuff in their life? How many of you want to admit that somewhere along that way, your brain went, maybe this is God judging me? It's like, no. Tongues stick to frozen flagpoles. I'm gonna make all my, my reform friends mad. The sovereignty of God need not be activated in that moment. See, we we get caught up in this fear base, this worry and this fear. And John here is telling us, look, let love perfect your view of who he is and who you are in him so that fear doesn't play a role in it anymore. Amen? Judgment has already been dealt with. You you wanna know what God's work in your life is right now? You wonder what God's, God is not sitting up, up in heaven. God, the Holy Spirit is not dwelling within you looking for reasons to judge you. The sentence, the judgment, the punishment, the payment has been done. The scripture says now, Romans 8, 29, he is at work in you. He's predestined He's given you a destiny. Here's what that destiny is. For you to look like Jesus. That's what he's working in your life right now. That's what he's doing in your life right now. He's not. He's not. He's. Oh my gosh! Your life is not a divine game of whack-a-mole. <laughs> we laugh, but isn't this sometimes how we see God? We just think like, well, he's waiting for us to like pop our head out of the wrong one. <laughs> We're just trying to figure out what hole am I supposed to go in now? It's not. No, he's he's at work in your life, beloved. Yes, everything in your life that does not look like Jesus, the Holy Spirit is after that thing. Amen? This, this, this is not just some like, you know, whatever, you know, you're your love. so go out and do whatever you want to do and nothing bad will ever happen to you. God loves you enough to help you avoid the stupid prizes of the stupid games that you're trying to play. And he loves you enough to form you and fashion you and work in your life so that you look more and more like Jesus every single day. Troubled mind, fearful soul, a wandering heart. Say this quickly. I said that a wandering heart is dual allegiance. Let me put it another way. Dual allegiance is a sign of divided affection. I love love Jesus, but I also love fill in the blank. I love Jesus, but I also love my car. I mean, English is weird because we only have one word for love, right? You love your kids and you love cheeseburgers and I hope you love them in different ways. (laughs) But Jesus is going after the heart of that thing. And, And I think it's evidence in the disciples here because as we've said, they thought they were on this trajectory toward greater and greater and greater success and fame and winning. They'd committed their lives to make an Israel great again. And then stuff didn't go the way they thought. (whistles) Who am I talking to? Before they know it, their hearts are troubled and they're full of fear. And Jesus is saying, you you fundamentally missed the point. Your allegiance is divided because your affection is dual. You love me and you love something else. Beloved, It ought not be so. It ought not be so. So I said love is the catalyst. Love is the catalyst. How is love the catalyst? I I wanna just walk through this real fast. I'm gonna talk fast, listen fast. We'll unpack this together. This is all coming out of verse 28. It says, if you loved me, if you loved me, you'd have a different perspective. Here's what what I'm saying. When effectual affection for Jesus mingles with the perfect peace of Jesus, our eyes are lifted. When effectual affection for Jesus mingles with the perfect peace of Jesus, our eyes are lifted. If you loved me, what he's saying, if you loved me, you'd see what I'm doing as ultimately, though not about you, beneficial for you, yes, but not about you. You'd see that there's something bigger than just you going on here. Yes, disciples are saying, I love you, I care about you, I'm walking with you, I'm your rabbi, none of that's changed, but listen, something bigger is going on here than just your bad day. I used to, again, I used to say this to our young people when I was a youth pastor, like, your destiny is bigger than your bad day. You're going to have bad days. No one amends that. Your bad days are gonna, la- are gonna turn into sometimes bad weeks. Your bad weeks are gonna turn into bad months. Your bad months are gonna turn into bad years. You might even go through bad decades. I'm not standing up, here saying like vote for Jesus and all your wildest dreams will come true. That's not, that's not, that's not the message of the gospel, beloved. That's not what I'm saying. What Jesus is trying to show them here is like, yes, I know, and I admit, can we just stop for a second and point out again that Jesus is the one who's about to be crucified, and he's encouraging them? How good is our God? Like, hey, I know it's gonna be really hard for you when they beat me beyond human recognition. I know that's gonna really bother you, but let me just give you a hug real fast. Like, if I was Jesus, they would all be fired. Like, I would just be like, all of y'all can leave. Oh, guys, I'm, I'm about to be beaten and crucified because of your sins. Oh, Jesus, this changes our plans. Get out. Just, there you go, leave, see you later. I'm gonna skip the cross thing, and I'm gonna take the elevator to heaven. This is if I was Jesus. Can we, can we rejoice that I'm not? This is confession, this is not like teaching time, okay? See, when effectual affection for Jesus mingles with the peace of Jesus, our eyes are, left. We are our perspective changes, our understanding changes. A soul, a soul in tranquility infused with holy affection has an improved vantage point. I'm gonna say that again because that is worth the price of admission. A soul in tranquility infused by holy affection has an improved vantage point. If you are here right now going like, I just don't know what to do. Everything in my life seems like crazy. I don't know what road to take. I don't know what's going on. Everything seems weird. I mean, I've had more conversations with y'all over the last couple years with you just saying like, I just don't understand the world right now. Get on the bus. None of us do. Okay, but here's what I do know. That you freaking out and abandoning your love for Jesus does not help you see the world right. This is why I said, put down your phone, turn off your TV, love your spouse, play with your kids, talk to a friend, read a book. Get get out of that, get get out of this constant cycle. Y'all realize, right? I don't care which which version of, 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 of media you listen to. I don't care whether it's mainstream or a random dude on YouTube. Sorry, alternative media. I don't care what websites you go to for your information. I don't care any. I don't. I don't care. I don't care if you if you if you listen to CNN or Fox News. I don't care which one you listen to. All of them have an agenda. All everybody you interact with in your life has an agenda. Everybody. I have an agenda. My, my agenda to the best of my abilities, to the best of my knowledge, is to travail in prayer and in love for you until Christ be formed in you. That's my agenda for you. I have an agenda for this city. I want the gospel to be preached to every single person who lives here. I want them to repent and believe. I wanna see the kingdom come, I wanna see the church built. It's my agenda. Can I just inform you real fast in case you don't know, CNN and Fox News and independent news media, that's not their goal for your life. Their goal for your life is for your eyeballs to get addicted to their screen. And they will do whatever they have to do, say whatever they have to say, to make you like what they say so that you keep listening. Because they don't make money when you put down your phone and you turn off the TV. Well, pastor, I don't want to be ignorant of what's going on in the world. I love you, you are. You, 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 you've been watching like 10,000 hours of God only knows what and you're still ignorant of what's going on in the world. I think, I think more of us need to just sit back and willingly admit that all of that stuff is above our pay grade and beyond our control. But you know what you can do? You know what you can do? You need to listen to me. You know what you can do? You can love your wife. You can raise your kids. You can walk humbly with your God. You can get up in the morning, put your pants on, get a job, work your job, love the people around you. You can do that. But we want to obsess about stuff that we have no control over. I don't know how I got here. You're welcome. People are looking at me like, what does this have to do with verse 28? Because our perspectives are wrong. Are you hearing me? But when we, when we live in, in soul tranquility, when we, when we make use of the birthright we're given by Jesus, when we stop tying our peace to our understanding and we start just abiding in him, and then when that mingles, when that gets mixed with the catalyst of love for him, man, our eyes are lifted. That's why Jesus said, if you had loved me when I told you this stuff, you would have rejoiced because some, some bigger divine purpose was at, at work. And I wanna just point out real fast, I said effectual affection. Every one of these 11 people who are in the room had declared and demonstrated their love for God. Can we agree with that? But yet he says there's something lacking in the effectualness of it. We've talked about this in the past, it's like boiling water. Realize that water, elevated to 212 degrees, can drive a steam engine, and literally it changed the world. It was the invention of the train. We could, we could haul multiple, multiple tons of weight across the whole country at, at speeds that literally scientists, this is just fun, scientists worried that the human body was not designed to go as fast as trains could make us go and we thought we might die driving on a train that fast. Follow the science. So um, So what, what we've got to understand is, is that that 212 degree water could do that, but you know what couldn't do that? 211 degree water. You heat up the water to 211 degrees, the the, the train don't move. Makes some noise, makes some sputtering, makes a lot of racket, takes a lot of work, doesn't do anything. 212 changed the world. 212 changed the world. 210 will, will scald you, burn you, hurt you, it's dangerous to be around. 212 changed the world. See, when Jesus says, listen, guys, if you loved me, what he's saying is is maybe, you've tried 180 love. Come on. You've tried 195 love. But there's an effectualness that's missing here. When the effectual affection for Jesus mingles with the perfect peace of Jesus, our eyes are lifted. Elevated perspective, catch this, please, elevated perspective that comes from our effectual love for Jesus, amen, mingled with the peace of Jesus. Elevated perspective produces external expressions of exaltation in the eternal purposes of God. Let me unpack that for you. When you see what God is doing, you get stupid, crazy happy. That's what that says. Elevated perspective. When 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 you allow this working of the Spirit in your life to elevate that perspective, to help you see better, come on, Hey, 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 11 disciples, I know that the next couple of days are gonna be bad for you, but guess what? After this, you get to be reconciled to the Father. You'd rejoice because I'm going back to be with the Father, you're in me, I'm in you, I'm about to go to the Father, you get to go back to be with the Father. That's better than Jesus just being here with you and you getting to be famous. That's better than your team winning. When that perspective is elevated, when it really happens, Jesus said you would have rejoiced. I use the word exaltation. means the same thing. Exaltation is lifting somebody up. Exaltation is rejoicing, being happy, cheering, shouting, doing what y'all crazy people do when we worship here. That's the normal response to the purpose of God being fulfilled in the earth. So what's the eternal purpose of God? The eternal purpose of God is his nature on cosmic display. Can I get an amen from somebody? See, even when his purpose, his, his, his eternal purpose, God's nature put on cosmic display, causes me to maybe have a bad day, if that's happening, I'm good with it. Man, I, Man, I want to go places right now, but I need to be good. The church needs to remember that we exist for him, not him for us. Listen, I, 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 get, I get it, I get it, I get it. The last two years have been like a, a, a living in a cuckoo farm making putty, right? Like I just, it's just crazy. I get it. But it, 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 it need not be a question in your heart to ask what is God doing? You wanna know what God's doing? He's putting his nature on display for everyone to see and he's forming you to look more like Jesus. So I don't like this, I didn't say you had to. But the pot doesn't get to say to the potter, I don't like being formed like this. He's the one at work, he's forming, he's shaping, he's directing, he's doing his work. He's putting his nature on display. He's putting his nature on display. Sure, it doesn't always go the way I go, but it's his eternal purpose. And when my eyes are elevated, when I, when I live in peace and I remember that love for him is my highest calling, that when everyone gets to see who he is, man, my heart rejoices. I'm filled with joy. What, is, what, what do we mean? I wanna make sure I make, get this clear. What do we mean by his nature We call this cosmic display of his nature. We call this simply the glory of God. Love for and the love of God causes us to rejoice when he's revealed, to exalt when he is exalted. When we see the one that we love, when we see the one that we love, come on, when the world sees the one that we love, when the one that we love is revealed, we get happy, we get joyful, and we rejoice. Love is the catalyst for that to take place. See, the reason reason why Christians are called to be people who rejoice is we are called to be people who have experienced and encountered and engaged a ridiculous love that we cannot even fathom when that love mingles with the peace that he gives us, come on somebody, joy and rejoicing are the natural byproduct. Can I get an amen from anybody? Let's stand to our feet. I don't know, I, okay, so let me back up because I know we got people here that are new and I need to be good. Uh, we believe that when we hear God speak, it's right and good for us to respond to what we've heard. Okay, four of you over here agree with that. We believe that when we hear God speak, it's right and good for us to respond to what we've heard. Amen? It's why, it's why we say amen when we hear good preaching or just preaching. Um, that's why we respond. So, so what we've decided to do as a community is we, we sort of carved out some time here at the end of our service, not to just sort of like sing a song as we leave, but to respond to what we have heard, amen? So, so here, here's how we respond. We respond through celebration, through contemplation, and communion. Communion, quite simply, we, we, we do that in two ways. We partake in the ordinance of communion where we take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. We also have gluten-free uh, on the edges here. Um, if, if you need that in the white tables, we also—if you're not comfortable with taking in a communal way like this in this season—we totally get that. So, in the back, in little gray uh, pack, a uh, little little gray tubs, we have a prepackaged communion that you can take if that's more uh, conducive to where you're at in life right now. We, we, we encourage you to make use of that. But here's the deal: we open up this as a means of celebration, a reminder of the means by which we have experienced redemption—the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus—and it is open to all. Come on, who put their faith in Jesus? care what what denomination what background what church you normally go to listen if you love jesus if you've repented and you've believed these tables are open to you if you have not done that we would we would we would just tell you listen you don't have to pretend like you're a christian and do this christian thing called communion you can just hang out in your seat nobody's going to judge you nobody's going to think anything weird of you but let me just stop for a minute i would be derelict in my duties as a minister of the gospel to say if you have not come to a place of repentance and belief in jesus I just want to ask you one simple question. Why not? Because listen, all the things that you're going to in your life to try to find out who you are and to try to make yourself feel secure and safe, all the places you're going to try to find joy and happiness and satisfaction, all of those things either have or will or are failing you. Jesus says that when we come to him, he tells us who we are. He makes us safe. Come on, somebody. He fills our life, like we talked about today, with such joy that it overflows Bible says that, that if you're, if you are outside of him, the way that you get inside of him is through repentance and belief. That means to admit and abandon your sin and to embrace and entrust your life to Jesus. And the Bible says that when you do that in an instant, you go from being dead spiritually to being alive spiritually. You go from being separated from him to being in his very, in his very courts, in his very presence. Literally, the Bible says you go from being his enemy, come on, to being his family. That happens in an instant. Which leads us to the second way we commune. There's some lights and a cross back here on the back wall. If you're going through anything in your life, we want to commune one with another. This Christian life is not something we do as a solo sport. It's something we do as a family, amen? The Bible says that when we have a need, we should go to one another and pray for one another. So if you've got any need, a team would love to meet you back there and pray with you and stand with you and believe God to move in your life. We believe and we see miracles happen when we pray as a church, amen? Not because of who we are, come on, but because of who he is. Not because we have magic words, but because he is the living word. If you're here and you're doing that repentance and faith thing as well, we'd love the chance to stand with you and pray with you and welcome you into the family. Communion, contemplation and celebration. We think it's good and right to take some time and let God do some work. Maybe there's some things in our life that God wants to rearrange. Amen? Maybe there's some areas where we've given into we've given into dual dual affections, where we've given into fear, where we've given into trouble. God wants to just put His finger on some of those things and call those things out. And then celebration. We want to lift our voice and celebrate the God. Come on, who in the midst of all of it has a bigger plan and a bigger purpose than we could ever imagine. While we were worshiping this morning, I thought of this verse. I want to share it to us? Light of the message, in light of the response we're about to have, challenge some of us. David writes this, Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me; therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roaring of your waterfalls; all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and his night; at night his song is within me. A prayer to the God of my life. Come on, why are you downcast? Well, you don't know what's going on in the world, and you don't know what's happening in my life, and you don't know what's going on. I got a bad report, I got a fire from my job, and they left, and they died. You know what? And Jesus is forming Christ in you. And God is at work putting his, his, his nature on display. And when we can lift our eyes, come on church, Let me put it this way. When we lift our eyes, we lift our voice. Come on, when we lift our eyes, we lift our voice and he receives the worship that is due his name. And when we lift our eyes and when we lift our voice, the Bible tells us in Joshua that walls fall down. Stuff shifts when that happens. So I I pulled an audible on the worship team. They had an amazing response on prepared that would have been just absolutely fantastic. But I think, I think, I think there's a little bit of worship left in us speaking to our souls this morning. I think there's a little bit of, I think there's a little bit of, of work left to do in speaking to ourselves to live our lives. Come on in a posture and an attitude of gratitude toward him. I think we need to lift up our voices this morning and thank him for all that he has done. Come on, thank him for all that he has promised. Thank him for all that he is doing. Thank him simply, come on simply and only because of who he is. Because I don't care how bad your life is, and I don't care how good your life is, I'm gonna tell you a truth statement right now. He's better, he's better, he's better. Some of y'all came in here with some depression hanging around your head and your hearts, and I think right now as we lift up our voice, there's an anointing here to break that yoke on your life. I think there's some movement here in the spirit this morning to break off some wrong thinking in our lives, some bad perspectives in our in our understandings to shift the way we see ourselves, the way we see God, the way we, we see the way we're supposed to interact there. Some of y'all, I said you need to love your spouse and, and your first thought was, I can't even love myself. How am I supposed to love anybody else? We love, come on, because he first loved us to stir up some emotional response in you. I'm asking you to look at Jesus and let whatever happened, happen. So Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning. We thank you that you're here to lead us into all truth and we thank you, Jesus, that you are truth. Truth is not a list of facts. Truth is not a list of of, of information. Truth is not a list of, of, of simply right understanding. No, truth is a person and his name is Jesus. So we come, God, in this foolish, weird way that you call us to. And we, 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 like Hebrews says, with our hearts and our mouths, we worship you. With our hearts and our mouths, we, we raise our hands. Our, our hands are symbol of our activity and our actions. We lift them up to you, open-handed. It's all we've got, Lord. It really is not much in the face of so much, this really isn't much but Lord, in another sense, it's everything we have it's a widow with two pennies it's not much, but it's all we have in gratitude for who you are in joy over what you've done in eager expectation for what you've promised and in the deepest most abiding affection simple Because of who you are. God will waste our lives, we'll waste our lives worshiping you. We'll pour out every breath we have to praise your name.